chapter one part two of the may flower and miscellaneous writings by harriet beecher stowe this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the may flower and miscellaneous writings by harriet beecher stowe chapter one uncle lot part two now shall we narrate how our hero as he saw uncle lot approaching the door had the impudence to take out his flute and put the parts together arranging and adjusting the stops with great composure uncle lot said he looking up this is the best flute that ever i saw i hate them tooting critters said uncle lot snappishly i declare i wonder how you can said james for i do think they exceed so saying he put the flute to his mouth and ran up and down a long flourish there what do you think of that said he looking in uncle lot's face with much delight uncle lot turned and marched into the house but soon faced to the right about and came out again for james was fingering yankee doodle that appropriate national air for the descendants of the puritans uncle lot's patriotism began to bestir itself and now if it had been anything as he said but that our flute as it was he looked more than once at james's fingers how under the sun could you learn to do that said he oh it's easy enough said james proceeding with another tune and having played it through he stopped a moment to examine the joints of his flute and in the meantime addressed uncle lot you can't think how grand this is for pitching tunes i always pitch the tunes on sunday with it yes but i don't think it's a right and fit instrument for the lord's house said uncle lot why not it is only a kind of a long pitch pipe you see said james and seeing the old one is broken and this will answer i don't see why it is not better than nothing why yes it may be better than nothing said uncle lot but as i always tell grace and my wife it ain't the right kind of instrument after all it ain't solemn solemn said james that is according as you work it see here now so saying he struck up old hundred and proceeded through it with great perseverance there now said he well well i don't know but it is said uncle lot but as i said at first i don't like the look of it in meetin but yet you really think it is better than nothing said james for you see i couldn't pitch my tunes without it maybe tis said uncle lot but that isn't saying much this however was enough for master james who soon after departed with his flute in his pocket and grace's last words in his heart soliloquizing as he shut the gate there now i hope aunt sally won't go to praising me for just so sure as she does i shall have it all to do over again james was right in his apprehension uncle lot could be privately converted but not brought to open confession and when the next morning aunt sally remarked in the kindness of her heart well i always knew you would come to like james uncle lot only responded who said i did like him 
but i'm sure you seemed to like him last night why i couldn't turn him out o' doors could i i don't think nothing of him but what i always did but it was to be remarked that uncle lot contented himself at this time with the mere general avowal without running it into particulars as was formerly his wont it was evident that the ice had begun to melt but it might have been a long time in dissolving had not collateral incidents assisted it so happened that about this time george griswold the only son before referred to returned to his native village after having completed his theological studies at a neighbouring institution it is interesting to mark the gradual development of mind and heart from the time that the white-headed bashful boy quits the country village for college to the period when he returns a formed and matured man to notice how gradually the rust of early prejudices begins to cleave from him how his opinions like his handwriting pass from the cramped and limited forms of a country school into that confirmed and characteristic style which is to mark the man for life in george this change was remarkably striking he was endowed by nature with uncommon acuteness of feeling and fondness for reflection qualities as likely as any to render a child backward and uninteresting in early life when he left newbury for college he was a taciturn and apparently phlegmatic boy only evincing sensibility by blushing and looking particularly stupefied whenever anybody spoke to him vacation after vacation passed and he returned more and more an altered being and he who once shrunk from the eye of the deacon and was ready to sink if he met the minister now moved about among the dignitaries of the place with all the composure of a superior being it was only to be regretted that while the mind improved the physical energies declined and that every visit to his home found him paler thinner and less prepared in body for the sacred profession to which he had devoted himself but now he was returned a minister a real minister with a right to stand in the pulpit and preach and what a joy and glory to aunt sally and to uncle lot if he were not ashamed to own it the first sunday after he came it was known far and near that george griswold was to preach and never was a more ready and expectant audience as the time for reading the first psalm approached you might see the white-headed men turning their faces attentively towards the pulpit the anxious and expectant old women with their little black bonnets bent forward to see him rise there were the children looking because everybody else looked there was uncle lot in the front pew his face considerately adjusted there was aunt sally seeming as pleased as a mother could seem and miss grace lifting her sweet face to her brother like a flower to the sun there was our friend james in the front gallery his joyous countenance a little touched with sobriety and expectation in short a more embarrassingly attentive audience never greeted the first effort of a young minister under these circumstances there was something touching in the fervent self-forgetfulness which characterized the first exercises of the morning something which moved every one in the house 
the devout poetry of his prayer rich with the orientalism of scripture and eloquent with the expression of strong yet chastened emotion breathed over his audience like music hushing every one to silence and beguiling every one to feeling in the sermon there was the strong intellectual nerve the constant occurrence of argument and statement which distinguishes a new england discourse but it was touched with life by the intense yet half-subdued feeling with which he seemed to utter it like the rays of the sun it enlightened and melted at the same moment the strong peculiarities of new england doctrine involving as they do all the hidden machinery of mind all the mystery of its divine relations and future progression and all the tremendous uncertainties of its eternal good or ill seemed to have dwelt in his mind to have burned in his thoughts to have wrestled with his powers and they gave to his manner the fervency almost of another world while the exceeding paleness of his countenance and a tremulousness of voice that seemed to spring from bodily weakness touched the strong workings of his mind with a pathetic interest as if the being so early absorbed in another world could not be long for this when the services were over the congregation dispersed with the air of people who had felt rather than heard and all the criticism that followed was similar to that of old deacon hart an upright shrewd man who as he lingered a moment at the church door turned and gazed with unwonted feeling at the young preacher he's a blessed creature said he the tears actually making their way to his eyes i ain't been so near heaven this many a day he's a blessed creature of the lord that's my mind about him as for our friend james he was at first sobered then deeply moved and at last wholly absorbed by the discourse and it was only when meeting was over that he began to think where he really was with all his versatile activity james had a greater depth of mental capacity than he was himself aware of and he began to feel a sort of electric affinity for the mind that had touched him in a way so new and when he saw the mild minister standing at the foot of the pulpit stairs he made directly towards him i do want to hear more from you said he with a face full of earnestness may i walk home with you it is a long and warm walk said george smiling oh i don't care for that if it does not trouble you said james and leave being gained you might have seen them slowly passing along under the trees james pouring forth all the floods of inquiry which the sudden impulse of his mind had brought out and supplying his guide with more questions and problems for solution than he could have gone through within a month i cannot answer all your questions now said he as they stopped at uncle lot's gate well then when will you said james eagerly let me come home with you to-night the minister smiled assent and james departed so full of new thoughts that he passed grace without even seeing her from that time a friendship commenced between the two which was a beautiful illustration of the affinities of opposites it was like a friendship between morning and evening all freshness and sunshine on one side and all gentleness and peace on the other 
the young minister worn by long-continued ill-health by the fervency of his own feelings and the gravity of his own reasonings found pleasure in the healthful buoyancy of a youthful unexhausted mind while james felt himself sobered and made better by the moonlight tranquillity of his friend it is one mark of a superior mind to understand and be influenced by the superiority of others and this was the case with james the ascendancy which his new friend acquired over him was unlimited and did more in a month towards consolidating and developing his character than all the four years course of a college our religious habits are likely always to retain the impression of the first seal which stamped them and in this case it was a peculiarly happy one the calmness the settled purpose the mild devotion of his friend formed a just alloy to the energetic and reckless buoyancy of james's character and awakened in him a set of feelings without which the most vigorous mind must be incomplete the effect of the ministrations of the young pastor in awakening attention to the subjects of his calling in the village was marked and of a kind which brought pleasure to his own heart but like all other excitement it tends to exhaustion and it was not long before he sensibly felt the decline of the powers of life to the best regulated mind there is something bitter in the relinquishment of projects for which we have been long and laboriously preparing and there is something far more bitter in crossing the long-cherished expectations of friends all this george felt he could not bear to look on his mother hanging on his words and following his steps with eyes of almost childish delight on his singular father whose whole earthly ambition was bound up in his success and think how soon the candle of their old age must be put out when he returned from a successful effort it was painful to see the old man so evidently delighted and so anxious to conceal his triumph as he would seat himself in his chair and begin with george that our doctrine is rather of a puzzler but you seem to think you've got the run on't i should really like to know what business you have to think you know better than other folks about it and though he would cavil most courageously at all george's explanations yet you might perceive through all that he was inly uplifted to hear how his boy could talk if george was engaged in argument with any one else he would sit by with his head bowed down looking out from under his shaggy eyebrows with a shame-faced satisfaction very unusual with him expressions of affection from the naturally gentle are not half so touching as those which are forced out from the hard favoured and severe and george was affected even to pain by the evident pride and regard of his father he never said so much to anybody before thought he and what will he do if i die in such thoughts as these grace found her brother engaged one still autumn morning as he stood leaning against the garden fence what are you solemnizing here for this bright day brother george said she as she bounded down the alley the young man turned and looked on her happy face with a sort of twilight smile how happy you are grace said he to be sure i am and you ought to be too because you are better i am happy grace that is i hope i shall be 
you are sick i know you are said grace you look worn out oh i wish your heart could spring once as mine does i am not well dear grace and i fear i never shall be said he turning away and fixing his eyes on the fading trees opposite oh george dear george don't don't say that you'll break all our hearts said grace with tears in her own eyes yes but it is true sister i do not feel it on my own account so much as however he added it will all be the same in heaven it was but a week after this that a violent cold hastened the progress of debility into a confirmed malady he sunk very fast aunt sally with the self-deceit of a fond and cheerful heart thought every day that he would be better and uncle lot resisted conviction with all the obstinate pertinacity of his character while the sick man felt that he had not the heart to undeceive them james was now at the house every day exhausting all his energy and invention in the case of his friend and any one who had seen him in his hours of recklessness and glee could scarcely recognize him as the being whose step was so careful whose eye so watchful whose voice and touch were so gentle as he moved around the sick-bed but the same quickness which makes a mind buoyant in gladness often makes it gentlest and most sympathetic in sorrow it was now nearly morning in the sick-room george had been restless and feverish all night but towards day he fell into a slight slumber and james sat by his side almost holding his breath lest he should waken him it was yet dusk but the sky was brightening with a solemn glow and the stars were beginning to disappear all save the bright and morning one which standing alone in the east looked tenderly through the casement like the eye of our heavenly father watching over us when all earthly friendships are fading george awoke with a placid expression of countenance and fixing his eyes on the brightening sky murmured faintly the sweet immortal morning sheds its blushes round the spheres a moment after a shade passed over his face he pressed his fingers over his eyes and the tears dropped silently on his pillow george dear george said james bending over him it's my friends it's my father my mother said he faintly jesus christ will watch over them said james soothingly oh yes i know he will for he loved his own which were in the world he loved them unto the end but i am dying and before i have done any good oh do not say so said james think think what you have done if only for me god bless you for it god will bless you for it it will follow you to heaven it will bring me there yes i will do as you have taught me i will give my life my soul my whole strength to it and then you will not have lived in vain george smiled and looked upward his face was as that of an angel and james in his warmth continued it is not i alone who can say this we all bless you every one in this place blesses you you will be had in everlasting remembrance by some hearts here i know bless god said george we do said james i bless him that i ever knew you we all bless him and we love you and shall forever the glow that had kindled over the pale face of the invalid again faded as he said but james i must i ought to tell my father and mother i ought to and how can i 
at that moment the door opened and uncle lot made his appearance he seemed struck with the paleness of george's face and coming to the side of the bed he felt his pulse and laid his hand anxiously on his forehead and clearing his voice several times inquired if he didn't feel a little better no father said george then taking his hand he looked anxiously in his face and seemed to hesitate a moment father he began you know that we ought to submit to god there was something in his expression at this moment which flashed the truth into the old man's mind he dropped his son's hand with an exclamation of agony and turning quickly left the room father father said grace trying to rouse him as he stood with his arms folded by the kitchen window get away child said he roughly father mother says breakfast is ready i don't want any breakfast said he turning short about sally what are you fixing in that air porringer oh it's only a little tea for george twill comfort him up and make him feel better poor fellow you won't make him feel better he's gone said uncle lot hoarsely oh dear heart no said aunt sally be still a contradicting me i won't be contradicted all the time by nobody the short of the case is that george is going to die just as we've got him ready to be a minister and all and i wish to pity i was in my grave myself and so said uncle lot as he plunged out of the door and shut it after him it is well for man that there is one being who sees the suffering heart as it is and not as it manifests itself through the repellences of outward infirmity and who perhaps feels more for the stern and wayward than for those whose gentler feelings win for them human sympathy with all his singularities there was in the heart of uncle lot a depth of religious sincerity but there are few characters where religion does anything more than struggle with natural defect and modify what would else be far worse in this hour of trial all the native obstinacy and pertinacity of the old man's character rose and while he felt the necessity of submission it seemed impossible to submit and thus reproaching himself struggling in vain to repress the murmurs of nature repulsing from him all external sympathy his mind was tempest-tossed and not comforted it was on the still afternoon of the following sabbath that he was sent for in haste to the chamber of his son he entered and saw that the hour was come the family were all there grace and james side by side bent over the dying one and his mother sat afar off with her face hid in her apron that she might not see the death of the child the aged minister was there and the bible lay open before him the father walked to the side of the bed he stood still and gazed on the face now brightening with life and immortality the son lifted up his eyes he saw his father smiled and put out his hand i am glad you are come said he oh george to the pity don't don't smile on me so i know what is coming i have tried and tried and i can't i can't have it so and his frame shook and he sobbed audibly the room was still as death there was none that seemed able to comfort him at last the son repeated in a sweet but interrupted voice those words of man's best friend let not your heart be troubled in my father's house are many mansions 
yes but i can't help being troubled i suppose the lord's will must be done but it'll kill me oh father don't don't break my heart said the son much agitated i shall see you again in heaven and you shall see me again and then your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you i never shall get to heaven if i feel as i do now said the old man i cannot have it so the mild face of the sufferer was overcast i wish he saw all that i do said he in a low voice then looking towards the minister he articulated pray for us they knelt in prayer it was soothing as real prayer always must be and when they rose every one seemed more calm but the sufferer was exhausted his countenance changed he looked on his friends there was a faint whisper peace i leave with you and he was in heaven we need not dwell on what followed the seed sown by the righteous often blossoms over their grave and so was it with this good man the words of peace which he spoke unto his friends while he was yet with them came into remembrance after he was gone and though he was laid in the grave with many tears yet it was with softened and submissive hearts the lord bless him said uncle lot as he and james were standing last of all over the grave i believe my heart has gone to heaven with him and i think the lord really did know what was best after all our friend james seemed now to become the support of the family and the bereaved old man unconsciously began to transfer to him the affections that had been left vacant james said he to him one day i suppose you know that you are about the same to me as a son i hope so said james kindly well well you'll go to college next week and none o your keepin school to get along i've got enough to bring you safe out that is if you'll be careful and stiddy james knew the heart too well to refuse a favour in which the poor old man's mind was comforting itself he had the self-command to abstain from any extraordinary expressions of gratitude but took it kindly as a matter of course dear grace said he to her the last evening before he left home i am changed we both are altered since we first knew each other and now i am going to be gone a long time but i am sure he stopped to arrange his thoughts yes you may be sure of all those things that you wish to say and cannot said grace thank you said james then looking thoughtfully he added god help me i believe i have mind enough to be what i mean to but whatever i am or have shall be given to god and my fellow-men and then grace your brother in heaven will rejoice over me i believe he does now said grace god bless you james i don't know what would have become of us if you had not been here yes you will live to be like him and to do even more good she added her face brightening as she spoke till james thought she really must be right it was five years after this that james was spoken of as an eloquent and successful minister in the state of c and was settled in one of its most thriving villages late one autumn evening a tall bony hard-favoured man was observed making his way into the outskirts of the place hallo there he called to a man over the other side of a fence what town is this here it's farmington sir well i want to know if you know anything of a boy of mine that lives here a boy of yours who why i've got a boy here that's livin on the town and i thought i'd just look him up 
i don't know any boy that is living on the town what's his name why said the old man pushing his hat off from his forehead i believe they call him james benton james benton why that is our minister's name oh wal i believe he is the minister come to think on't he's a boy o mine though where does he live in that white house that you see set back from the road there with all those trees round it at this instant a tall manly-looking person approached from behind have we not seen that face before it is a touch graver than of old and its lines have a more thoughtful significance but all the vivacity of james benton sparkles in that quick smile as his eye falls on the old man i thought you could not keep away from us long said he with the prompt cheerfulness of his boyhood and laying hold of both of uncle lot's hard hands they approach the gate a bright face glances past the window and in a moment grace is at the door father dear father you'd better make believe be so glad said uncle lot his eyes glistening as he spoke come come father i have authority in these days said grace drawing him towards the house so no disrespectful speeches away with your hat and coat and sit down in this great chair so ho miss grace said uncle lot you are at your old tricks ordering round as usual well if i must i must so down he sat father said grace as he was leaving them after a few days stay it's thanksgiving day next month and you and mother must come and stay with us accordingly the following month found aunt sally and uncle lot by the minister's fireside delighted witnesses of the thanksgiving presents which a willing people were pouring in and the next day they had once more the pleasure of seeing a son of theirs in the sacred desk and hearing a sermon that everybody said was the best that he ever preached and it is to be remarked that this was the standing commentary on all james's discourses so that it was evident he was going on unto perfection there's a great deal that's worth having in this ere life after all said uncle lot as he sat by the coals of the bright evening fire of that day that is if we'd only take it when the lord lays it in our way yes said james and let us only take it as we should and this life will be cheerfulness and the next fullness of joy End of chapter one part two